We Californians know all about water conservation. Despite all the talks about the drought, experts tell us enough water hits our state in a given year to comfortably supply everyone's needs. So if there is enough water, then where does it all go? Today, I sit down with Darcy Burke, president of El Center Valley Municipal Water District. She explains how California laws and court rulings are restricting the amount of water we capture and distribute. So I'm going to probably not be very popular, but I'm going to tell you a lot of the drought we're in right now is man-made. There are a number of environmental court rulings that operate the system, not how it was intended. Do you think we have reached a point that we have to really look at everything when we're talking about water, the environmental side as well as the agriculture as well as the urban use? You don't hear the report card, but you see the money that's being invested time and time and time again. You know, you mentioned Prop 1, and you think about it, safe drinking water. Safe drinking water, that's a human basic life. We spent three times what we invested in safe drinking water on environmental improvement three times. Meanwhile, we have systems all over the state that have impoverished neighborhoods that don't have clean, safe drinking water. Where's our priorities? I'm CMI Korami. Welcome to California Insider. Thank you so much for having me. We want to talk to you about water issues, and we are facing this drought and shortage, and there's proposals, and there's talk about us even not having grass anymore. We have to drastically change our lifestyle and mm -hmm. farmers are cutting back. Is this fixable? Is there any solutions besides going drastically and cutting our usage? The good news is yes. There's actually a lot of options we have. They just haven't been explored or approved. How long do they take? Is there any immediate things we <laughs> they can take, do? They take decades. Um, building a project in California, anywhere in California, is a, almost a, a career move for that particular project. There are a number of reservoir projects moving forward in California that have taken 20 years. Sites Reservoir is an example. It's now sitting at the state. If we had more reservoirs, would uh -huh. they be full? But given the situation that we have, how would they work? Like, I am they so get, glad if you, you can asked explain that, that question. So I'm going to probably not be very popular, but I'm going to tell you a lot of the drought we're in right now is man-made. So yes, we had reduced precipitation, and you're going to hear on the news between January, February, and March, it was the driest three months in, in 22 years or even 1,200 years. Our water year starts October 1st and goes all the way to September 30th. December was an exceptionally wet year. We had stored and captured that water in our reservoirs, but because of California and the way we do business now, there are a number of environmental court rulings that operate the system, not how it was intended. So we have to continue to release water from a reservoir when we should be saving for a sunny day. We have to release it for temperature control, for species by species, reduce the pumping. So all that water we were able to save went out the Golden Gate Bridge. In May, I think the total was 4.5 million acre feet had gone out since the beginning of the water year. So that's 4.5 million football fields full of water a foot deep. That's enough for 12 million Californians. Can you explain this more? H how does it work? So we have to let the water out. The reservoirs had the capacity? Yes. So how it works is the reservoirs were designed to store water and then move it when you needed it. So store in the wintertime and move it south. So from when to when, uh, wintertime? So you're anytime, the rain year is typically October, end of October to probably April. Okay. That's the most rain you're going to get or snow or precipitation. So the reservoirs like um, Orville 
and Shasta were designed to capture that water and then move it south when you needed it, like spring for the farmers or in the summer here in Southern California. So when you have a court order because someone sued based on uh, the implication of that water moving through the Delta, the, the, the Bay Delta, down to Southern California, the Central Valley, they blame the pumps for de the deterioration of that species and they won. So instead of being able to move water 12 months a year, three months a year, we can only move water sometimes in July and August. So if you've already let that water out of the reservoir, there's no water to move. Now the Colorado River is a completely different situation. We have over-delivered that water and there's not enough precipitation filling that basin. But California is in a different situation. Yes, different regions had less water, but we save for sunny days. And that's exactly the point of the reservoir and the state water project and the Central Valley project store the water and then move the water. Can you explain this court order? When did this sure. happen and how did it come about and how much water? So that you said 5 million acre feet. How much is that for us? So an acre foot of water will in urban use um, serve about three families for a year. So three with their, even with their grass and all the everything. With right? everything. So I know, you know, California had adopted a landscape that was probably not native to this area. It was more of a northeastern type of landscape. As people moved to California, they wanted to see the green grasses they have. I'm not one to ever tell someone that you can't grow what you want to grow. I just want you to be efficient with the water you use. Meaning whether you have a drought tolerant landscape or um, grass, don't waste the water. I don't want to see it running down the street, causing more issues uh, for our lakes and streams and even oceans. But use what you need. I don't want to be someone that dictates what you can plant and you can't plant. But that's kind of where we've moved in California. There's a big mandate to take out what they call um, unuseful turf, right? So that it might be in a median or a parking lot or it might be in front of a business and because kids don't play on it, then they, they say you have to take it out. I don't know if I'm a, an advocate for that. I just want you to use what you need and make sure you don't waste it. I think that's what every Californian should do. We're very good with our water resources. We use 50% less water than we did about a decade ago. So have we improved our efficiency? Yes. But when you look at urban use in the portfolio of the state, urban use is 10% of the pie. You're asking 10% to cut back 20%. That's not going to get you so out of the So essentially you want to cut 2% essentially. That's exactly what it is, right? And then you look, they used to say that farmers took 80%. Well, I know that's not true. And this year they're getting no percent. Zero percent is on the, on the federal project. So when you take away the ability to grow food, because you've also reduced the ability they could actually pull out of the ground through the Groundwater Sustainability Act. You can do more with less, but you can't grow with nothing. So if they're not taking their water and we're not using as much water, where's all that water going? And it's to the environment. And I'm not saying we don't need to invest in our environment. California is the golden state because of our environment. But it has to be equity across the table. We have enough water for everyone. We just have to manage it better. Can you explain this court order and also the environment as well? Where this water, how, how the water goes to the environment? So in 2007, 2008, there was a Supreme Court ruling in California by Judge Wanger called the Delta Smelt Ruling. And so that ruling basically said because a Delta Smelt, which is a very small fish in the Bay Delta area that was, was only known to be found in that Bay Delta area was going extinct, it was endangered. And the advocates for the Bay Delta smelt said, okay, we think it's the pumping that's causing the demise of the smelt. So in order to save the smelt, that particular court order 
reduces the amount of time the pumps through the, through the state project and the Central Valley project can be on and move water. And that's also how we generate electricity in this state, is through those pumps. So the, the problem was it's not just the pumps. I'm not saying the pumps didn't have an impact. What I'm saying is we looked at it in silos. The habitat for the Delta smelt had been deteriorated for over 100 years. There wasn't a movement to restore that habitat to help that fish flourish. So things like invasive species. Um, striper bass are very popular among fishermen. They're an invasive species. They're not native to California. And guess what they like to eat? Delta smelt. So when the delta smelt have no place to hide along the delta because years and years and years ago, hundreds of years ago, we dredged that area to make it bigger for ships to pass, they have no place to hide. So the striper just waits and the delta smelt swims right into it. So now we're not allowed to pump and, right. and this is causing, what does this cause? Do, do we have to let the water out? How does it work? The water goes out underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. So as the water moves, rather than capturing it, pumping it, down to Southern California or into the Central Valley, it goes out the Golden Gate Bridge. So it's not that we don't have enough water, we're not managing the water we have well. So why is nobody doing anything about this or talking about this? I don't think this? people realize. You know, they turn on their tap and it works. The reliability is always there. They may be inconvenienced that they can't water their yards three days, only three days a week, or they can't wash their car in front of their house. But for the most part, life goes on. But for some people in California, that's not true. When you look at disadvantaged communities in the Central Valley who rely on that water, not only are you impacting farmers, you're in fact impacting communities. They don't have access to clean drinking water because we can't move water. And people just out of sight, out of mind. I think there's been so much controversy about so many things, especially after COVID. It's one crisis after another. So first we had a pandemic, and now we're moving to a water crisis. I think people are fatigued, and they just don't want to have to bother. Their tap still works. Is there a way to reverse this Supreme Court ruling, and is there a way to bring it into discussion? Because it seems like neither the mainstream media, neither mm -hmm. the state leaders are even mentioning anything about this? I think our elected officials at the state are at a disadvantage. They have term limits, so a complex issue like water, because it's very complex, they don't have the time to invest to understand. So when you look at the state's current situation, we have a $97 billion surplus. $97 billion! And the governor did not once come out and say, nor did he prioritize water infrastructure. So. The whole idea of, of investing in your infrastructure for reliability, resiliency, and sustainability is you do just that. You invest in it. So we haven't built anything major in California since the late 1990s, and that was Diamond Valley Lake. And that was Metropolitan Water District of Southern California. Our customers paid for that, not the state. The state has invested very minimal. And, and, and the voters have asked them to. They've we passed. had a proposition, Prop 1, that passed a few years ago. Yep. What happened to that money and where is, where so is it So to give some relationship, we have a $97 billion surplus now. That proposition was $7 billion. And it was led really through the efforts of Governor Schwarzenegger. And working with a lot of different lawmakers on both sides of the aisle, they identified a certain number of areas in which we would invest as a state. So $520 million was for drinking water. Uh, $2.7 billion was for storage and $1.5 billion was for ecosystem. So personally, I have a problem when it's 
ecosystem over drinking water for people, but I understood that that's the negotiated amount and we need to spend that. Most of that $520 million has been spent, and a lot of it on smaller systems, consolidation, uh, well treatment for areas that might have arsenic or other contaminants. But when you look at the $2.7 billion for storage, there's an accountability website that the state has. And at the last time I looked, they said $2.6 billion was allocated. I can only count $140 million that actually went to projects. So where the rest of the money is, I can't tell you. But I think people say, okay, we passed that. It's moving on. Let's move on to something else. And a lot of the money that has been invested is mostly for planning or environmental mitigation. None of it has been for construction. And we need to build something. And do you think there is anything on horizon that, that we are going to build anything anytime soon? There is a reservoir um, in the northern part of the state off of the delta. It's, it's called off-stream storage, which means it's not on a, a river or lake or stream. And it's called Sites Reservoir, and that probably has the most hope to moving forward. Um, Metropolitan Water District of Southern California has invested in it. Many of the Bay Area water agencies have. The state has. Some of that prop money went to Sites Reservoir. There's a number of stakeholders that realize that the more we can store, that when we do have a drought or an other incident, we can move it. And I think that has the, the most hope. But now just back to the state, and that's, that's another nine months to a year. And that project started well before the 2014 Prop 1 passed. So you're looking at 20, 25 years. Here in, in South Orange County, you have the Doheny Ocean Desal Project. Environmentally sensitive, very sustainable, um, a very new way to actually pull uh, ocean water from underground and have it filter through sand and then treat it and deliver it. That project has been moving forward for 20 years wow. this year. And it's still not done with the regulatory process. It has to go back to the Coastal Commission. So, you know, if you want things to be built, there's not even a, a, a set path. There's so many agencies involved that it's very complex and it's very, very expensive. Are there any special interests that are stopping these projects or they they benefit from these projects not working and not Both. going through? So there, there's a lot of, and I don't want to just coin environmental groups because I don't think that's fair. I think everybody in some point is an environmental group. We care about our surroundings. We care about our environment. And even agriculture, they were Mother Nature's caretakers from the very beginning. You're not going to get more of an environmentalist. They're closest to the They're the closest to the, to the ground. So, but some of those special interest groups are opportunists. They see a way to stop a project um, for whatever reason and then sue if that project were to move forward. And then the money that, that that lawsuit usually renders never ever goes back to mitigating for that project, whether it be a mountain lion or a, a fish species, it goes back to that organization. So you have environmental special interest groups, environmental justice groups getting much richer, but none of that money goes so to fix the problem. So they sue, they make the money, but they don't really use that for the environmental cause. Not at all. But they take the money from the project? Is that what they Yeah, because usually a developer or whoever's building the project has to pay those, those funds. Is there a way out of this? I think it's when people wake up. You know, um, Californians are resilient. We've gone through a lot of issues, whether it's um, energy shortages, earthquakes. We can do this if we all just put our mind to it. And I think part of that means is we have to stop being separate. You know, it's always, 
one side versus the other. We're so good about dividing ourselves that that's really how special interest groups are successful. We forget that we have shared values, that we, that we all value this state, we all value the lifestyle that we have, and, and none of us really want to get rid of it. Um, but as time goes on, things become much more expensive in California, more expensive than any place else. And, and people just kind of, as long as they can make it, that's fine, and if they can't, they move. So I think we just need to wake up and realize it's going to take everybody's best interest at heart in order to move the state forward and keep it golden. Do you think we have reached a point that we have to really look at everything when we're talking about water, the environmental side as well as the agriculture as well as the urban use? Yes. Do you think it's time for that? Can you tell us more? I think everything's on the table. I think it's time to renegotiate, so to speak. It can't be one side and the other two left hanging. You know, when I look at um, investing in infrastructure for my service area and I'm going to build a new water treatment plant or I'm going to put a new pipe or I'm going to put in advanced metering. I have to respond to my constituents and what their, their return on their investment is. What's the benefit of doing that? So we've invested billions of dollars in the environment and I don't know what the return on investment is. I don't know how they quantify it. I don't know how they're measuring it. But I don't see any difference. I, there's no more Delta smelt than there were before. There's probably less. I don't know the state of the Chinook salmon, so you don't hear the report card. But you see the money that's being invested time and time and time again. You know, you mentioned Prop 1, and you think about it. Safe drinking water. Safe drinking water, that's a human basic life. We spent three times what we invested in safe drinking water on environmental improvements, whether it's parks or conservancies or um, any type of estuary enhancement, three times. Meanwhile, we have systems all over the state that have impoverished neighborhoods that don't have clean, safe drinking water. Where's our priorities? You mentioned the environmental side of this, and we're all fan of environment. We we'll choose to live in California because it's beautiful and the environment is kept really well. Now, you mentioned a good percentage of the water goes to the environment. Where does that go to, and how does it work? So I, I think that's a great question, and it's actually not a very easy answer. They, they used to divide up and say, oh, 10% went to urban, which is pretty much true. We meter the water in our urban use. We know how much we take in, we know how much we sell, and we know pretty much what the outflow is, right, whether it's recycled or whatever. They used to say that 10% went to urban, 10% went to the environment, and 80% went to ag. That, that's just not possible. The math doesn't add up anymore. When you have um, farmers in the Central Valley taking a 0% allocation, last time I looked, 0 times 0 is still 0, right? So that's, they're not taking it there. They're not getting any groundwater, very limited because of the Groundwater Sustainability Act, so that's limited. So there's no way they're taking 80%. If they're taking 30, 40% maybe at the most, now we're at like 50%, which would leave the rest of it to the environment. But the environment doesn't use a meter. They don't measure how much they use or where it goes. And they don't measure the benefit of the water. Meaning if you're telling me you need this water to save the Delta smelt, how many more Delta smelt have we had over the last 10 years now than we did before by using the water out to the sea. Uh, my understanding is the last time they did a count was zero. So oh. what's the benefit? I don't mind investing in the environment and using water for the highest and best use. I mind that people aren't accountable for water that they're using when the rest of us are. So essentially some people are bringing up the word environment 
and actually the water is used on this environmental cause that mm -hmm. is not very clear right. what this cause is. The causes could be clear. It could be by species. So you have the Chinook salmon, you have the Delta smelt. The list goes on and on and on. You also have temperature control. So for the salmon, they know that the salmon do better in colder water than other times, so that they release more water during those times, so that where the salmon are, that they have some temperature control. But all of those releases add up, right? So if you're moving water for the delta smelt, so that when they move, that they have more water, or it's able to flush them farther down into the delta. If you're moving water so that the salmon have better temperature control, all that water adds up. Our, our point from the urban water users is measure it. Tell us how much you're using and what the benefit is. If we didn't save one delta smelt, and you've put families that farm out of business. You've had industries leave California because they suspect the water reliability isn't there. That's a problem. We all need to be equal partners at the table. And the last time I checked, we as, as Californians, we're a human species. And, and, and we need to have an environment that's, that helps us thrive as well. So what about the farmers? As a result of all this, it seems like the, the farmers have been impacted, right? right? How are the farmers impacted here? So, you know, I, I think food has not become a priority. You know, people go to the grocery store, they get whatever they want, whatever season it is, whether it's local or not. California farmers have the most regulations out of anyone, whether it's for farm labor, whether it's pesticide control, whether it's water, whether it's logistics, meaning when they move trucks, all of that impacts a farmer. And the, most, the majority of farmers in California are family farms, multi-generation families. Are they incorporated? Absolutely, because California is a litigious state. They are the ones that take the brunt of it. So they're taking acres of what was the most fertile land in the nation, and they're following it because they don't have the water. Whether it's a, a gentleman I know that grows some of the best cantaloupes in the world, and mostly that comes from California, you know, he's growing a very small percentage, like 10% of what he could grow. What's that going to do to the prices of cantaloupe when cantaloupe comes around? You know, it's making food unaffordable. It's also not protecting those things that environmental justice groups really claim they do. They're worried about the, the workers, the, the laborers that relate to farming. Well, if they're in a different country, we can't tell you what their conditions are. I don't know anyone that is certified organic in another country and has the same regulations and restrictions that farmers in California do. Food's important. Food security is important. You know, you don't want your food poisoned coming over from someplace else. You want to make sure that it's grown to the highest integrity, that it's looked after, that they're taking care of their resources. They're, they're not wasting water. You're not going to add more water than a plant needs because it's not good for it, and it's not going to grow if you add less. It, it's pretty much a basic science. So we're questioning everything we do in the state, from mm -hmm. farming, from our urban use. Mm -hmm. Why is the environmental part is not part of this? Why is nobody talking about this species? We've decided to allocate X amount of water to them. Why is this not part of the conversation? I think that a lot of people don't want to seem like they're anti-environmental because that, that doesn't make sense. Why would you be anti your own um, home state, right? You, wh what you call home. And a lot of those special interest groups have very loud voices. They're very active politically. They have the time and resources to participate in the conversation. And they paint one side of it. You know, um, when you look at urban users, I'm so proud of 
the residents we serve at Elsinore Valley Municipal Water District because they've done their job. They've reduced their use. They use 50% less water than they did 10 years ago. We are the fastest growing. Even with the population growth? Yes. We are the fastest growing county in California. And we're only 35% built out. And when I ask my, my constituents, can you just be more efficient? They respond. So I don't think it's a matter of the urban users not responding. I think there's some inequity thinking that urban users have to bear the brunt of us as a state not investing in enough infrastructure and not enough resiliency in the system to meet the demands for everyone. Do you have any other thoughts for our audience? Just be involved and pay attention. You know, when you look at your water bill, I don't want you to think that you're paying for water. You're paying for water service. We got the water, we, we found it, we moved it, we treated it, and then we delivered it 24-7. So when people talk about a water bill, I want them to really get the value of what they get, which is truly water service and wastewater service. Nobody wants a plug toilet, especially during the holidays. And water agencies make sure they take care of the drinking water and the wastewater as well. So I think it, once we value what we have as a society, we would do much better. Darcy Burke, Elsinore Valley Municipal Water District President. It was great to have you on California Insider. Thank you for having me.